1: Terren Pritchett,
2: and my co-host for the five o'clock hour from ABC 57. It's Allison Hayes, and we welcome you to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Tuesday, February the 13th of 2024. For all you lovebirds out there, remember Valentine's Day is tomorrow. You still have time.
3: Don't forget; it's important.
2: It is to some. There's no doubt about it. If someone forgets there are a lot of people that get very upset yes others are like yeah so i can tell i think it's a
3: made-up holiday (laughs) it is but you better make at least a little bit of effort i'm just telling you guys even if your woman says or your significant other says they don't care about it you should still do a little something because it matters
2: I can tell your husband better get the job done.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's really good about that kind of stuff. He's better at the holidays and the surprises than nice. I am. Okay. So, yeah, he—I give him credit for that. And it's fun, and I—it—it it, it makes it enjoyable.
2: Very, very good. All right, we are here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. The show airs until seven. Then we have Wake Up the Echoes, the Notre Dame Athletic Department interview show featuring members of the athletic department. So that's going to air at seven o'clock. On our sister station, 96-1 the ton, Brian Miller will have the call of the Mishawaka Cavemen taking on the South Bend Adams Eagles at the Hathaway Shack, probably right around a 715-720 pregame on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. We've got a combination of topics to get to, Notre Dame football, Irish basketball, we've got a little leftover topics from Super Bowl 58, a Twitter question of the day from yesterday that had some interesting results. And I mentioned the topic for today's Twitter question of the day on yesterday's program. It was a head scratcher for me, so I decided to put it to a vote in today's Twitter question of the day. You can vote on it right now at my Twitter X account at 960 SportsBeat. And we'll go over that question coming up in just a little bit. In the 6 o'clock hour, I will sum up Super Bowl 58, which was held in Las Vegas, by using Elvis songs to describe (laughs) what happened. I know, I know, I'm reaching, but bear with me. I'm on
3: the edge of my seat.
2: Well, Don't Be Cruel will be probably a topic in our next segment. (laughs) If you see where I'm going there. Yes, I like it. Okay, we've got Kyle Kelly joining me at about 6.20. He is the Blue and Gold Illustrated Notre Dame football reporter, and he is taking the place of Mike Singer today, who is off. We're going to talk about Elijah Burris picking the Fighting Irish, and we're going to dig into that very exciting 2025 class that Marcus Freeman and his staff already putting together. Most people believe the number one class in the country so far this year, and we'll wrap up the program with our sports wagering segment. We going to Sizzler. Okay, five eleven is our time. We've got three topics in this opening segment to get the conversation started, and so let's begin with a little Notre Dame football. As the Fighting Irish football team, as we all know, very busy in the transfer portal this off season. Lost in the shuffle of guys like Riley Leonard joining the team. This guy played with Riley at Duke, and I think he could have the impact of what Javante John Baptiste had on the 2023 Fighting Irish. I'm talking about defensive end R.J. Oban. Good-looking defensive end, stout against the run, can get to the quarterback, and he's probably going to play the field defensive end spot just like Baptiste did. Last year, so we'll begin the conversation by playing a little audio as RJ Oben met the media here in South Bend for the first time a couple of days ago. And Oben, who had a nice run at Duke, decided to join the Fighting Irish. He was asked why that ended up being his choice.
4: Uh, well, I think Coach Washington you know, just established a great plan for me to come in, and um, you know, he showed me some tape and showed me things I could work on, and just a plan that he had within this defense and. I think it was a great defensive hit for me. Um, obviously, culturally, you know, Duke and Notre Dame have kind of similarities, being you know, size, academic, and athletically. I um, just having those resources, and I think Notre Dame has, you know, unmatched exposure. Um, you know, just unmatched resources in terms of on the field and off the field. Um, you know, being able to get a graduate um, degree, hopefully, while I'm here, um, would be something that I'd, I'd love to take advantage of. And obviously, you know, coming here to win the national championship as well. Um, I talked to Coach Freeman, and I'm really excited about this team. So
2: we've got a guy on the Irish hockey team who transferred from Harvard to Notre Dame. Now Duke isn't Harvard, but still Duke is a sure. really outstanding institution. So a chance to get degrees from Harvard and Notre Dame for our hockey player, Ryan wow. Sedum and Duke and Notre Dame for RJ open. That is really, really cool. And one of the the good things about the transfer portal in college athletics, we can name many bad things, but that is actually pretty cool. So I tell you what, Allison, I'm kind of optimistic about the field end for the Fighting Irish. You got Oban joining this program, probably is going to be the starter. But I really like Joshua Burnham, who played both the Viper and the field end late in the year, including in the Sun Bowl and during the bowl practice. I'm extremely high on him. In fact, I think he might be one of those guys that makes a big jump this year. Do you have optimism, concerns about this spot going into the spring practice cycle in just a couple of weeks?
3: I'm actually really optimistic. I think that was a really great pickup. Uh, RJ is going to be coming into a room full of young talent, and he's going to provide some experience. I mean, obviously he's got to learn the playbook and and make that transition himself, but he comes in, and you know I love to to rattle off stats and numbers, (laughs) but just to look at some of his numbers, just from last year, 17 tackles, 6 tackles for loss, 5 sacks, and this is on a Duke team that was ranked number 25 in efficiency. He tied for the team lead with 27 quarterback hurries, 13 of those hurries equaled a sack or a quarterback hit. So he's super active. He's flying around the field. He's going to have that experience. He's a super smart guy. He comes from a great family background. I'll get into that in a second. But also of note, he's the only guy to get a sack on Joe Alt last season. Oh, that's right. That's huge.
2: That's right. Forgot all about that. He deserves a, a trophy for doing that because <laughs> that's going to be a top 10 pick in the 2024 NFL draft, and we just didn't see Joe Alt get beat very often. He got knocked off balance in that weird Louisville game, which just looked bizarre. But yeah, R.J., good play there on Joe Alt in that great game between the Irish and the Blue Devils last fall. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, last year's starter at the field end spot was Javante Jean-Baptiste, who came to South Bend from Ohio State, where he was a reserve And I can't recall. I've been around these parts for 25 years, and I'm sure I'm missing a couple of guys, but I'll just keep this generic. It's been a while since I can remember an assistant coach who was thought of in this way by the fan base and the media, but then turned into being thought of in this way because of a great year. There were people wondering if Al Washington should be on this staff last year. But with the way he developed Javante John Baptiste, the way he has recruited in the last cycle, it's amazing how people have changed their thoughts on him. In fact, he was a candidate for the BC head coaching job. Now he has BC ties. But still, you at least have to be pretty good at something to be in the running. So Al Washington has just changed the opinions, right or wrong of everybody, from what they thought of him. 365 days ago and now he gets to work with R.J. Oban but here's Oban being asked are you familiar with Javante John Baptiste coming to South Bend from Ohio State and took his game up several notches to the point where now he's a serious draft candidate in fact he got invited invite. to the draft combine down in Indy earlier today and Oben, oh yes he was aware of the season of Javante Jean Baptiste here in South Bend.
4: Of course, I had um, you know, extensive conversations with Javante. Um, not only that, but um, just being able to watch his film, coach watch, um, you know, he kept drawing me in and show me the things they we were able to do with him and um, some of the techniques that they were playing and um, how he was able to develop his game. Show me from you know when he first got there and you know things that he's able to do now. And I mean, he's developed into a tremendous player, and um, I think I'm trying to have that same growth this year.
2: Let's hope it's the same impact because that defense looks a lot different without the way Baptiste play. And with the guys you got in the middle of that defensive line, I mean, they're going to help those ends because you really got to focus on Riley Mills and Howard Cross. If you don't take care of them, you got problems up the middle. So if you put an extra guy on Cross, for example, it frees up one-on-one for a guy like Oban to hopefully get to the quarterback. And I guess you look at this Irish defense, which turned out to have terrific national numbers last year, and they did it without a great pass rush throughout the year. It got better as the season went on, but Al Golden manufactured pass rushes with his ability to put some blitzes on the opposition. As you look at the defense going into 2024, how far up the list of things you'd like to see improve is the pass rush?
3: That's probably number one. I, I think that that was something we kind of commented on all season long, but we did see that Al was able to get creative with that and and get different guys involved and and get it done in a different way and I think that will be improved this year and I think you have to be optimistic right about just the defense in general because they do have so many key pieces returning but then they have so much young talent coming in too. I'm really excited to see Bryce Young. He's yep. a string bean right now, which I'm sure that's going to be like number 1 on the priority list for uh, the new strength and conditioning coach. But I mean, Bryce, he is 6 foot 7. 67 yeah. He's going to be a monster when he fills out. He's only 241 right now, 241 pounds, but a consensus four-star player. He is the man, and a, a bunch of numbers for you I got, yep. 97 tackles, 14 sacks, three forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, 18 tackles for loss, 12 QB hurries, one block punt, one blocked field goal, mm. and a touchdown. That was just a senior year. That's incredible. Those are huge numbers. So I think sky's the limit for a kid like that. Get him in here, fill him out, and and get him uh, with the right coaching, and they could really develop him. He could be a a major NFL prospect later on.
2: With Micah Gilbert on the team, I'm not sure how they lost a game. But I'll say this. This is a little tease into the 6 o'clock hour when I talked to Blue and Gold's recruiting reporter Kyle Kelly. I asked him of the early enrollees, offense, defense, one player on each side of the ball you're most interested in seeing for the first time in a gold helmet, and Bryce Young was his choice yeah. on the defensive side of the football. I'll let him explain why coming up, but Bryce Young getting a lot of love today on the program and rightfully so in another NFL pedigree and another legacy. So this this whole roster at some point, like 2030, is going to have 85 players
3: Seriously. whose
2: dads are former NFL players. It's, it's crazy. The pedigrees that are coming in right now.
3: Well, and this RJ Oban, his dad is Roman Oban, and he played from 96 until 2007, and he was a third-round pick by the Giants. He was an offensive tackle, yeah. though. But what's cool is he then later on got into broadcasting, so he kind of has that side of it. He has an understanding of it, and now he actually works as a VP with the NFL in player development.
2: I would guess Oban's dad would have played with Howard Cross's dad with the Giants.
3: Oh cool. I
2: think they're in the same time frame. So you could have two former teammates with the Giants whose sons are side by side in the Irish defensive line. I'll have to check that maybe Cross was gone by the time he got there, but it sounds, you know, pretty close at the very least. I
3: smell a really good feature for ABC 57 <laughs> kickoff coming on. That sounds good to me.
2: Otherwise, I just started a great rumor. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. There's no story to be had. <laughs> All right. Next up, R.J. Oben, Reminiscing about the game he played against the Irish last fall, Notre Dame pulled it out 21-14, to and Sam Hartman, of course, had that fourth down and a million run against <laughs> Oban and the Duke defense leading to the game-winning touchdown was supposed to be a field goal, but thankfully... Audric Estimate didn't stop, and the Irish ended up scoring the touchdown and winning 21-14.
4: See, the crazy thing about it is, I think uh, that you Notre know, Dame game is probably the craziest game we've had um, or at Duke uh, in Duke history, probably in terms of just the atmosphere and you know the, the buy-in, you know, coming from you know years where uh, We weren't winning too much over there, and you know, kind of how um, the cold was able to uh, come around and, and really come support us um, in that game. Um, I think obviously that speaks to the Notre game brand as well. Um, so I think that kind of both ties into it. And I'm uh, really excited to be a part of it on the other side now. And I think just, you know, the people here and just sometimes, you know, like certain games are just special. I think, you know, we certainly play certain brands and, um, you know, that, you know, it's a special place. And I, I think be able to be on the other side of that and to be um, in that space is something that I'm excited about.
2: RJ Oben says it was a special game. But my question is, Allison. Was it the most special win for the Irish in 2023?
3: I don't know if it was the most special. I mean, it was really well-timed. They needed that win. It was coming off the Ohio State loss, and it felt like, oh, no, here we go. They're going to lose two in a row. I mean, that it, it did not feel good there um, until some of those things started to happen, and Sam had that great run, and everyone, it just felt so optimistic at that point. Um, I don't know if that was the best win, but maybe USC probably just for, like, all that it encompassed was, uh, I don't know, or at least, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. But I think it was a very much needed win at that time of the season.
2: It was the best finish of a win. Yes. With the way the Irish, again, estimate was supposed to have taken a knee at the one-yard line, which I still don't understand that thinking. I'm glad he scored a touchdown. So it was the most dramatic win. You know, I, I still think back to the NC State game. Yeah. Before the weather delay, NC State's defense had stymied the Fighting Irish and then after the story of eating hot dogs, which <laughs> Notre Dame denies, but it sounds like it did happen according to, I think it was Molly McGrath, the sideline reporter for ABC that day. I mean, you eat hot dogs and Audrick Estime comes out with that 80-yard touchdown run the first play after the weather delay. And NC State turned out to be a really, really good team with an outstanding defense, so... Notre Dame didn't play that great offensively against Duke. They yeah. just made the plays at the right time. I kind of like that NC State victory a little bit more than the win over the Dukies, 21-14. to Final comment from newcomer, field in R.J. Oban. Here is R.J. on facing the Irish offensive line. I mean,
4: it's, it's amazing you know, to be here now to go against that every day in practice. It's going to make me even... Uh, to take me to even more new heights. Um, I think just, you know, some games you got to, you know, bugger trench stop a little tighter for and, uh, you know, watch a little more firm for I think uh, that's kind of the effect that Notre Dame has, um, not even just the O line but just the team in general every time you play them. Um, I think um, to be on the other side of that and to you know that every team I'm playing is going to, um, you know, come, come with that juice and come with the best they have, and I think I'm excited for that and can't wait for the opportunity.
2: Every spring we pick a part of the football team or multiple parts of the football team and say, hey, this is the spot we got to watch. If this doesn't get better, then oh my gosh, the world is ending. But if it gets better, they could win the national championship. Okay, a little dramatic, but I think it's fair to say that if you're thinking the development of the offensive line is the biggest or most important thing to watch in the spring, I yeah, will buy that.
3: No doubt. that That's the biggest question mark. There's too many holes to fill right now, and... When you lose Joe Alt, I mean, they're going to have some a little bit of a learning curve, I think, this spring, and, and we'll see these guys. Yep. There's a lot of talent, and, and Ashton Craig has got a little bit of experience under his belt. When he filled in when he needed to, he did a nice job, but um, there's just so many guys that are missing. So that's going to be a question mark that we'll follow and, and just kind of hope, hope that the, the development comes along quickly.
2: Well, we keep hearing about in each recruiting class from our recruiting analysts how great the Irish recruit the offensive line, then. Right. We shouldn't have anything to worry about, right? Sure. If they're right, we should have nothing to worry about. We shall see. All right, second opening topic for tonight. What victory over the weekend impressed you more? The Irish women's basketball team winning in double overtime at Florida State. Or Notre Dame basketball halting their seven-game losing streak by defeating Virginia Tech.
3: I think at this point, I it, fair or not, I expect the women to win. I, I'm like surprised when I see that they lost. I, the the one I was most impressed with, hands down, the Notre Dame men getting that. Absolutely, desperately needed win against Virginia Tech. They were down four at halftime, came back to win that 74-66. I mean, Marcus Burton, an absolutely incredible performance from him again as a true freshman, getting ACC Player of the Week honors. 16 points, a season-high tying, eight assists, season-high six steals. And this was something we just talked about on tip-off that day was uh, just – the not not getting very many assists. He's averaging about 4 assists per game and he doesn't really have any go-to guy that he can get it to. Anybody be after him, no one had more than one assist each. So this was a huge one. They ended up for the game um with a, a second highest assist total for the game was 14 Mm. as a team. So it was really good to see. And then Keba, he had a season-high 11 points. Um, All nine players that played in the game scored. Shrewsbury was super hot from three-point range. So this was just a game they needed. And this is one of those games, again, where every time I'm in here, I say this, Darren, I get so excited about it. But, you know, it's rough. It is. It's tough. And we're watching them lose. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And I've even seen people complaining on social media that maybe Shrewsbury wasn't the right coach. Oh, I think no, that no, is no, no, crazy nope 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 no. I think the cupboard was a lot more bare than we expected or thought it was he literally has five walk-ons on this team guys and he's having to play some of them this is a this is a complete rebuild so give him some time when we see these guys come out and play like this we see the 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 rainbow in the horizon right like there's there is There is a future ahead for these guys, and I think they're going to get there. And the more pieces they get to build around a guy like Marcus, the better.
2: Let's don't forget how difficult it's been to get undergraduates into transfer. Marcus Freeman just got that reward in the, the last portal cycle. So that's a change that may help him. So if you take all these players Micah had no chance to get, really limits you. So he is the guy. He's building a culture. Let the recruiting classes come in you're going to over recruit some of these guys and some of the new guys be taking up minutes so we knew this was going to happen we knew this was going to be a tough year i gotta be honest with you it is hard to watch at times but knowing what's ahead i stay positive but i love being a youtube tv subscriber because you can put four games on one screen and it kind of helps And some of those nights where it's hard to watch, you can kind of glance somewhere else and go back. So I've actually kind of watched games that way so far this year. It's interesting, going into the weekend, I thought both teams would win their respective games. Virginia Tech only had one road victory all year. So this is not a juggernaut team on the road so far this season. So I thought the Irish had a good chance to win that game. I expected Notre Dame to beat Florida State down in Tallahassee. It took double overtime, and Hidalgo did not have one of her better shooting days. I think she was, what, 7 for 25. So I'm going to side with you on the Irishmen. They could throw in the towel at this point. Really nothing to play for until the ACC tournament. They played better, and that's a positive and got a nice win. Just got rid of that losing streak. It's got to be a good feeling for that team. All right, finally, third and final opening topic for tonight. What was your biggest takeaway from the Chiefs beating the 49ers in Super Bowl 58 25 22 in overtime?
3: That no matter what the situation is, and whether he's having a down year or a career year that Patrick Mahomes is the guy I want to have the ball in his hands when it matters most. He is unreal. He is so good and the that chemistry that they have with that team is it's different. I mean, it's chippy and and I was surprised to see some of the back and forth that they all had uh, with each other, and guys were getting up, and even, in, uh, I can't remember who it was now off the top of my head, but uh, got into Patrick's face and, and was like, you know, why are you not finding Rasheed me? Rice. Yes. Yeah. I was like, wow. I mean, to see these guys, but Patrick Mahomes is just such a cool cucumber, and he can do whatever he needs to do to get it done. He's had his lowest touchdown percentage in his career this season and his highest interception percentage, and it didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter because when it came down to it, he was able to to lead them and, and make the big plays that he needed to make uh, down the stretch.
2: The 49ers left them in the game.
3: Oh, man. That and that one's going to be managed. hard to get over.
2: Yeah. My biggest takeaway is this, because I laid this out on social media before the game. As a Denver Bronco fan, Mike Shanahan was our head coach when we won Super Bowls 32 and 33 over the Packers and the Falcons. In Super Bowl 32... Kyle Shanahan was holding the headset cord of Mike Shanahan. So in NFL films of that game, you see Kyle nonstop. Christian McCaffrey's dad, Mm -hmm. Ed, was a star-wide receiver on that team. So there's a connection between the Niners and the Broncos. But here's my takeaway. Super Bowl 32, Terrell Davis ran for 157 yards against a vaunted Green Bay Packer defense, and he was named the Super Bowl MVP. You know, he's the last running back to win the MVP in the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. Isn't that nuts? That's crazy. So watching from the sideline that day as Denver with a Hall of Fame quarterback in John Elway used Terrell Davis to win the Super Bowl, I thought for sure he would ride Christian McCaffrey to the Super Bowl title, and McCaffrey would be that first MVP since he watched TD do it in person out in San Diego, and he started the game by running McCaffrey, but From the 10-48 mark of the second quarter until halfway through the third, McCaffrey had one carry. Yeah. Now, now Kansas City was run blitzing, but when they started running again, they were run blitzing, and McCaffrey had success. I just don't understand how you don't give the Offensive Player of the Year the football more and rely on Brock Purdy to go up against two great corners who are shutting down Ayuk and Samuel in that game, it just boggles my mind. Plus, if you run the football, you keep Mahomes off the field. So, after remembering Super Bowl 32 and Kyle saw TD lead that team to the Super Bowl, I thought he'd do the same with McCaffrey. And he started out doing it and finished that way. Yeah. But in the middle of the game, he forgot about the running game, and I don't get it.
3: And that, to be honest, I did. I picked the Niners to win it, and I picked McCaffrey. I thought he was going to be MVP because he... He was MVP for the season. I mean, he yeah. was so good. Golly, that that second, when he gets that burst, oh. man, his yards after the initial contact, it's just unbelievable to watch. He it was He's a special player, and I'm, I'm looking forward to more from him. But, yeah, like I said, that's going to be so hard for them to be able to get past and move forward Forward from knowing they left so much out there.
2: San Francisco not running Christian McCaffrey would be like the Kansas City Chiefs not letting Patrick Mahomes throw the football. There you go. That's the way I look at it. All right, those are our opening topics. When we come back, we want to talk about eight Notre Dame players invited to the NFL combine. Plus, there was what I would call an uncomfortable moment in Super Bowl fifty eight. We'll dive into that coming up in a moment. Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you, Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT.
1: Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Make sure that you do everything to get these kids ready to have success. It starts with giving them your heart. On Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Now it's going to be to take this team to the next level and I, and I'm excited for that challenge. From Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT.
2: Hey, they know the expectations here. They better be loud and
1: crazy and make sure everybody knows how special it is to play in Notre Dame Stadium. It is
2: 539 at WSBT, along with ABC 57's Allison Hayes. My name is Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues on this Tuesday evening. Eight Notre Dame players have been invited to the NFL Combine. The eight players from the Irish going to Indianapolis for the Combine are quarterback Sam Hartman, running back Audrick Estime, two offensive tackles Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. You've got Javante John Baptiste from the defensive line, linebacker J.D. Bertrand and Maris Leofal, and cornerback Cam Hart, so Notre Dame well represented at the Combine, which will start in late February down at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. It is worth noting that Sam Hartman got the invite to the Combine, Allison, after he had a really tough go down in the state of Alabama at the Senior Bowl, which was a great opportunity for him to kind of show the second half of the Notre Dame season was – I don't want to call it a fluke, but maybe not the norm, but the way he followed it up, put himself in a tough spot.
3: Wah, wah, wah. It was was hard to watch, honestly. It was really disappointing. I did watch it. I watched almost the entire – in fact, I missed most of Bo Nix and just watched Sam, and he had the opportunity of a lifetime there because Michael Penix decided not to play despite practicing all week. So Sam had the opportunity to play – Essentially, the whole game. And his stats for that were seven of 25 for 69 yards and an interception. And that was it. He just, he was not accurate. He just he lost a little bit of that mojo or he just didn't have that presence that he once had, especially when he first got to Notre Dame. Um, so it was disappointing. And when I had heard there was the conversation the whole week at Senior Bowl was that he was the oldest player on the roster there for out of all the players. He even shaved his beard off to try to make himself a look a little bit younger, he said, which he said did no good whatsoever because it was a topic of conversation, which I think Does it really matter how old you are when you're entering into the NFL draft? If you're good, if you are winning games, I don't think anybody would give a crap about how old he is. Uh, It was, you know, it's a topic of conversation. It's something to make jokes about, but big deal, right? That's another year, whatever. But he just, I I was shocked to see that he got invited to the NFL Combine, and I'll be interested to see what he could even do there that would make a a big enough difference. Do you think he'll get drafted? No. I I don't think so either. I don't think he's going to get drafted. I've heard people say, oh, yeah, maybe maybe late. Maybe he'll be Mr. Irrelevant. I I don't think he's going to get drafted. I think he'll get picked up on a practice squad, and I think he'll be a good locker room kind of guy. I just don't see him being a starting NFL quarterback.
2: As we say when the draft approaches, it only takes one executive, one team to like you. And maybe there is one team that says they would take a flyer on Sam Hartman. And I will describe the pick as a flyer. He is a player right now that is hard to imagine that he would be drafted based on what happened the second half of the year. And if you remember, one of the reasons why he wanted to come to South Bend was to get into an NFL-caliber offense. What they ran at Wake Forest, NFL scouts just don't believe that's something that they can look and watch and say, this guy's going to be an NFL prospect. You need to see him in an NFL offense. Well, he got one here in South Bend against the weaker competition. He looked great against the better competition. I don't want to say just Sam, but the entire offense had its issues. I still believe a lot of that was on the offensive coordinator. Execution is always a part of it. But if you had Mike Denbrock as the offensive coordinator for Sam Hartman, I would love to know the end result. I do believe it would be different. It's a hypothetical. It's a guess. But I think Mike would have gotten the best out of him. I just can't imagine Jared Parker did.
3: I feel bad for him in that sense because he had so much change coming in. There was so much hype and pressure on him. So he had just – it just didn't feel like things were working out. But still at the end of the day, he had an opportunity every week. And then you can't blame Jared Parker for what he did in that senior bowl, right? I mean, in, in theory, he had some of the best offensive linemen to protect him. He had some of the best wide receivers to throw to, and he just wasn't able to connect.
2: It's going to be a very interesting process for him. He's going to have to answer a lot of questions. He is. All right. You look at Joe Ault. He's probably not going to do a lot of the combine. You're going to be a top 10 pick. There is no reason to do anything other than maybe he'll do something with weights. I can't imagine he's going to do anything else because why Put yourself in it. position to hurt yourself right. when He's you're already. He's proved everything he needs yeah. to prove. So there's no question. Now, Blake Fisher is going to have to go through the process. I think someone that's interesting is Audric Estime. I just shared with you, Matt Miller, one of the ESPN NFL draft analysts. He is projecting that no running back will go in the first round. He even says he believes there is a chance a running back will not be taken in the top 50. Wow. Now, he says there's a lot of value. In the mid-second round, into the third round with a handful of running backs. And he has estimate number two on his running back board. But he is saying, and this is just one person's opinion, and again, it only takes one team to look at it differently. But he feels like that running backs may not be called upon until past pick number 50, which is kind of the norm that running backs have been devalued by NFL teams. I mean, look at the contracts some of these guys establish are trying to get, and teams are not investing in them anymore.
3: Well, I would love to see Audrick have a, a big showing and just – I'd love to see him have a big career. He He's a guy that I'll always think of fondly here at Notre Dame. I, I loved what he did. I loved his personality and his hard work, his ethic, and everything that he put into it out there on the field. We, you said it's like you, you have McCaffrey and you don't play him. That's how I felt whenever they didn't have Audrick on the field. It's like, why is he not on the field? He should be on the field. He doesn't need to rest.
2: Yeah. And I think the one player – who might take the biggest jump in terms of how he played here to the NFL. And the guy I'm picking was really, really outstanding at Notre Dame, but I think there is another level to his game, and that's Cam Hart. With his size and with his athleticism, I think he has the possibility of being a star in the national football league. I really like that, and I think teams are going to love – a guy six three, six four, with that athleticism and ball skills, he's going to be in demand in the NFL draft.
3: He didn't have a huge Senior Bowl, but he played well and he had like a a big moment. You know, he had a highlight to to stand out with a, a three year loss on third and five, and so against Missouri's running back, and so he he had kind of that moment to, yep. for to, a piece of film that you can take from that. I thought you were going to say J D Bertrand actually. I mean, he is he was a stud here, and he I think. He he could be a stud at the next level. Keep him healthy and he's like the everything you could want in a defensive player in terms of like the locker room guy, the the guy on the field that, you know, it can be the general and he's just a, such a solid good player. I, I I think I love that he's getting a chance at the combine. I hope he shows out and I think he could be one of those guys too that has a good career moving forward.
2: He's got the football IQ, he's got the toughness. And I think if he shows the speed, which apparently he did down at the senior bowl, he will be a guy drafted, no doubt about it. He to had the a great senior bowl, League. yeah.
3: Yeah, he was one of the most active defensive players for anybody that played in that game. He he was all over the place. He almost had an interception. Uh he just he had a great great showing.
2: I think if I'm not mistaken, didn't his teammates vote him the best linebacker in practice or something? He had some award the best. So when your teammates notice That's the greatest amount of respect you can get. All right, one more topic really quick. I want to get your thoughts. Super Bowl 58, the first half, things aren't going well for Kansas City. Isaiah Pacheco, Chiefs running back, fumbles inside the 49 or 10-yard line. San Francisco recovers the fumble. Next thing you know, I think coming out of break, CBS showed star tight end Travis Kelsey almost knocking down his head coach, Andy Reid, as he was screaming at him because He was not in the game for that play, and the tight end taking his place missed the block, leading to Pacheco, getting the ball stripped away, and he felt like he should have been in the game. What was your reaction to seeing in a heated moment, in the biggest game that you have in the NFL each year, a star player grabbing a hold of your, and I shouldn't make it about age, but... An older coach who almost fell down. Yes.
3: Yeah, I hated it. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked by it. And I do like Travis Kelsey. I liked him pre-Taylor Swift, and and I like him now. I I love the cockiness that he has. I, I think that's just kind of part of his charm, and I'm okay with that. But I could not believe my eyes when I saw him do that. And I know... Since that happened, everyone's like, oh, that's just their dynamic, and they they just are like that. And they he came over and apologized to him later, and Andy Reid laughed it off and no big deal. I don't care. I, I it was disgusting. I, I did not like that one bit. And whether you like it or not, you are a role model. He, you he's putting himself out there all over the world as a, a media sensation, as a role model to kids, and to ch- do that to your coach was gross I I didn't like it I, I don't I think there's so many other coaches that are looking at that there's high school kids yeah you're a stud and yes you should be on the field I don't blame you for having those emotions and being fired up I don't even blame him for being like I should be out there that other guy shouldn't be in there and I wouldn't have let that happen but the way he came up on his coach like that I hated it but again I know it was in the moment and since then, like I said, Andy Reid said, "Oh, you know, it was no big deal. We we're we love each other," and he apologized, and the cameras didn't show that, but I I was shocked by it. I was I was just, and just really disappointed.
2: First off, Travis Kelsey is not known for blocking, and there's a reason why Travis Kelsey was not in the game on a running play in the red zone. He doesn't block, so. I'm just thrilled to see at his late age of his career, now he wants to block. That would be a first. (laughs) He's a great pass catcher, one of the greatest of all time, but he's not known for his blocking. So for him to be upset about that, I side with Andy Reid. I know there's the old Charles Barkley saying, I'm not a role model. Right. I didn't like it either. Andy Reid's one of the greatest coaches of all time, and to... Come in contact with him is not necessary. If you want to scream and yell, that's fine. But you don't need to, I don't want to say push him or run into him, but Make contact to the point where he almost falls down. Fell
3: over, right. That
2: is a little much. Now
3: It definitely caught Andy by surprise. Oh, you get, no I mean, doubt. he didn't see him either. So, you know, he's got him coming in on on the yep. side like that. And it yep. was absolutely the heat of the moment. These guys are at the absolute highest level that you can be at in your career. And uh, emotions are as, probably as high as they can possibly get. I, I understand all of that. But you cannot – it doesn't matter. I mean, in a high school game, in a college game – You can't do that. You have to learn how to check those emotions.
2: I think Andy laughed it off because he was trying to limit the shelf life of the story. exactly. He didn't want it to become a big deal. He wanted it to be about the team winning back-to-back titles three and five years and not about this. So I think Andy took one for the team. So if we're going to talk about doing the right thing for a moment, whether you're into role models and all that stuff. So let me ask you this. Which was a worse role model moment, Travis Kelsey screaming at his head coach and almost knocking him down, or Taylor Swift chugging a beer knowing that all these little girls look up to her?
3: Ooh, ooh, that's a good one. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I haven't thought about that one bit. I've enjoyed all of the Travis and Taylor drama. I love all of it. I'm here for it. I think it's been good for the game in a sense, uh, but... That's a, that's Again, a all fair, the little girls
2: that look up to her, there she is on the board chugging a beer.
3: But that's not illegal.
2: It is she not. Is age. And it's not illegal for Travis Kelsey to run into and yell at his head coach.
3: Fair point. Touche.
2: I'm just saying. I'm not anti Taylor. I'm not a Swifty. I just think, with everybody jumping on Travis, I just want to mention that his girlfriend did something that some might disapprove of as being a bad role model. You don't have to answer, just throwing it out there.
3: <laughs> I have no answer. You've, you've Which means it's me probably speechless. Taylor, isn't
2: it? That's no answer means Taylor. <laughs>
3: Well, no, I'd like to justify it. I mean, if I was at that game, I would have absolutely chugged a beer, and I would have celebrated that. So that's I don't see a problem with her doing that, but I can see how some others could have a problem with her doing it.
2: She just shook off the aftertaste, right? She yeah. shook it off. <laughs> All right, and, of course, Travis Kelsey yelling at his coach. It was bad blood. Ooh. 553 is our time. Twitter question of the day coming up next on WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: I'm Darren Pritchett with ABC 57's Allison Hayes. And yesterday on Twitter X at 960 Sports Beat, I asked you this question Of these college football programs, which one will take the biggest step back from where they were at the end of 23 to where they will end up basically? in 2024 so who will take the biggest step back from these four teams Alabama without Nick Saban Washington without their entire team Michigan without Jim Harbaugh and Jesse Minter and a few others Mike Elston or Florida State who went undefeated last year but didn't make the playoffs so which will take the biggest step back tied Huskies Wolverines or Seminoles.
3: I, how could it not be Washington? I, they are losing everybody. Everything, your quarterback, your receivers, your coaches, everybody. I think uh, they're in a tough spot this coming season.
2: I'm with you. I, our old friend, oh gosh, I just lost his name, Mike Burrell, Oh yes. who was at the Tribune, yes. now he's out in Seattle. He showed the depth chart wow. from the national championship game and then post their coach leaving, almost every starter in two deep on one side of the football either graduated or in the portal. Yes, that's And the tough. other side of the ball was almost the same way. So they're losing everybody. So I think you have the definitive answer Washington. That's how I would have voted as well. Here are the results. Who will take the biggest step back? Fourth place, Washington. Hmm. Only got 6%.
3: Interesting. I have a feeling I know what direction this is going. You
2: <laughs> are exactly correct. All right. Third in the voting, roll damn tide, uh-huh. Alabama, only 10.3%. They got a great coach, a lot of talent left.
3: Yeah, you got your one of the best quarterbacks in the country coming back. They're not going to be in too bad a yeah. shape.
2: I would agree. Second place in the voting. The defending ACC champions, the Florida State Seminoles, who are on the Irish schedule, 35.7%. Which leads us to our friends north (laughs) of the border. Wait, this is a poll on my Twitter account of Notre Dame fans, so you knew where this was going. This
3: is wishful thinking on Notre Dame fans' part.
2: Who will take the biggest step back? Michigan got 48% of the vote. I will say this. When you hire from within, it seems like the right thing to do. But there are so many occasions it goes, Hey, you almost need a veteran coach to come in to take over for Harbaugh. Trying to keep the Harbaugh thing going without Harbaugh, I think, is dangerous. And they hired Wink Martindale, an NFL defensive coordinator. Not sure how that's going to work. So if Washington wasn't in that particular list I would have said Michigan but I think Washington definitely but I think Michigan takes a step back this year.
3: I think they do too and and as a as an Irish fan I I won't be too sad to see that happen but I do think uh, I think Washington by far but yeah I, I, Michigan will be interesting to see how this all plays out and I think you're right about hiring from within especially a program like that as big as Michigan is it it can There's going to be some bugs and kinks and things to work out. Marcus Freeman. Yeah, exactly.
2: There were some bugs to work out the first couple years. Well, we'll find out what was the real answer because Michigan and Washington play in the regular season. All right, we thank you for voting. Here is today's question. I mentioned this on yesterday's program, so I've turned it into a question. FanDuel has installed Texas A&M as a a one-and-a-half point favorite against the Fighting Irish in the season opener. August the 31st. So if you had to make a wager right now on this game, which direction do you go? Notre Dame plus one and a half or the home team, Texas A&M minus one and a half.
3: I think I like that Texas is a one and a half point favorite. I think... I don't like it when Notre Dame goes into every game as as a favorite, and a lot of times I don't think they actually are the favorite and it ends up biting them in the butt. I think uh, it would be good for them to be the underdog and uh, come into this situation. I think it's going to be a tough situation to to walk into at Texas A&M, even though they've got the new coach and all that stuff. We know who their coach is, and he is good, and they've got the experience, and they do know what to expect from Riley Leonard.
2: Elko knows how to defend Riley Leonard from their days at Duke, no question. I just look at the Irish defense Notre Dame has coming back. Offense. Let's see the pieces come together. But Texas A&M lost a lot of talent to the portal. So a lot of NIO money left the building when all those guys left. So I'm very comfortable... Taking Notre Dame right now plus one and a half because I I think after spring practice through the summer, it's going to flip the other way. I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame is a four and a half point favorite or five and a half point favorite. I completely agree. I I think this is tremendous value. You're not going to get Notre Dame getting points maybe at all this year outside of this particular moment. So we'd like to get your opinion. You can go to my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat to vote results. On tomorrow's program, all right. Anything you'd like to promote on ABC 57?
3: Well, we just came off of a an ABC 57 tip-off show, and it was leading into that the the great game that they just had against Virginia Tech. So, if you missed that. Because those those shows are on the CW25. They're not on ABC57. Right? That's our sister station. If you missed it, we had some really, really good stories in that show. And it's worth your while to take a few minutes to check out our website at abc57.com or on social media. I share all of our stories there. I have a great fun walk and talk. We call it fast break with both Micah Shrewsbury and Neil Ivy. We talk about off-the-wall things like their favorite player of all time, who would be most likely to be president on their current staff and, and stuff like that. So they're just fun and light, um, and you kind of get to know who they are outside of just basketball. And then also, I had a, a one of my favorite stories I've ever done, honestly, on the kid, and we talked about him before, yeah. Raheem Brayton from Mishawaka, going from not being recruited at all to being a practice player with the women, to being a manager, to being now a walk on. Awesome. And he plans on using his opportunity when he graduates to be a graduate transfer. He's shopping himself around to see if he can get a year of eligibility and actually play D1 ball. And I think that would be amazing. Every person I talk to about him raves about the guy that he is. His smile, his attitude, completely infectious. You- you'll love him. You'll want to root for, him-, for yeah. him moving forward. So take a minute to watch it and then. Leave Levon Whitaker, he had a nice sit-down one-on-one with Hannah Hidalgo, who is arguably one of the best players in an Irish uniform ever, and she's just a true freshman and obviously one of the best players in the country. She's going to be somebody we're going to have a lot of fun with over the years as long as she stays and doesn't leave early.
2: She will be the greatest. Wow, when she's I, I done. mean, she
3: she already is. She, I mean, she's on that path. I should say, 113 steals. I mean, she's got more than that now. But at that time when we did the show, 113 steals, leading the nation. You know, the person that was in second place had 80 something. She's just killing everyone.
2: Agumba Wally will always have the bigger shots oh, unless yeah. she hits some big big shots like she did. But in terms of player, I'm I'm on the Hannah bandwagon as the greatest Notre Dame women's basketball player if she keeps up this particular pace. All right, very good. Allison, thank you. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. That's Allison Hayes from ABC57. I'm Darren Pritchett. Don't forget, coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, Notre Dame football recruiting conversation, Blue and Gold's Kyle Kelly joins me to talk about Elijah Burris and more coming up on WSBT.
1: You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT Radio app. Just search WSBT Radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host Darren Pritchett.
2: Six sixteen at WSBT Sports Beat continues on this Tuesday evening. This is going to be a short segment, but let's get through today's My Five question of the day. My five observations from Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas using Elvis songs. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. All right, we're going to start things off with It's Midnight. And my reference to that Elvis song is San Francisco... They had a great chance to win this game, but they self-destructed in so many ways, including when the ball hit a niner on a punt return recovered by Kansas City, which turned into a touchdown. Greenlaw's Achilles injury hurt the San Francisco defense. His replacement, the person he was defending, was targeted nine times, nine catches. A massive loss, and then they couldn't score touchdowns. Add a couple of points in the game, including an overtime, and settle for field goals, and you don't beat Patrick Mahomes with field goals. Four. Number four observation from the Super Bowl using Elvis Song's memories. Well, this memory, McCole Hardman won for a lifetime, caught the game-winning touchdown pass in overtime. He started the year as a Jet. The Jets were a part of Hard Knocks on HBO, where he predicted his team would beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Well, it wasn't the Jets. It turned out to be. Kansas City got traded back to his old team, and what do you know, was in the right spot at the right time and caught the game-winning touchdown pass.
1: Okay,
2: okay. Uh, number three. Number three is Heartbreak Hotel. The 49ers, they had control this football game but could never put their foot on the Chiefs' throat. They let the Chiefs hang around, yet don't do that with Patrick Mahomes, and he ended up beating San Francisco. 25-22. Again, you got to run the football with Christian McCaffrey. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, overtime did not happen. Number two. Number two was Too Much, the Elvis song. And that goes into what I was just talking about. Kyle Shanahan forgetting about the running game mid-second quarter through mid-third quarter. Number one. And the number one. Observation from the Super Bowl using an Elvis song, don't be cruel. Travis Kelsey shaking Andy Reid and screaming in his face <laughs> after Kelsey was not in the game on the Pacheco run inside the San Francisco 10. The Titan missed the block, helping the Niners to dislodge the football from Pacheco. Kelsey lost it. Travis, don't be cruel to your head coach. All right, that is a look at Super Bowl 58 using Elvis song titles to help us describe what happened in the Chiefs' 25-22 overtime victory over the San Francisco 49ers. We'll step aside. We've got Notre Dame football recruiting conversation with Kyle Kelly from Blue and Gold Illustrated coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Sports Radio 960.
1: game football coverage continues now
2: in trouble and sacked, riley mills with the sack at the 42 yard line oh. and it's intercepted picked off middle of the field kaiser on
1: budweiser's weekday sports beat
2: driven back into the backfield after no game jalen steve ball. Hit. Hit. ball comes out
0: notre dame's got it howard cross knocked the ball out
1: from sports radio 960 a.m wspt
0: they won't make it they get stopped no
1: chance. Joshua Burnham was there to meet him and throw him for a loss. Morris in trouble and sacked. That is our J-Open.
2: Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speak continues on your home of the Fighting Hours, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. Darren Pritchett back with you. Well, Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated enjoying some time off. So we welcome back to the program, Blue and Gold Illustrated recruiting reporter, and that is Kyle Kelly. He joins us here on this Tuesday on WSBT Radio. Kyle, good to be with you. How are
5: you? Good to be with you as well, Darren. I'm doing okay. Well, we had a little
2: recruiting news over the last few days. The Fighting Irish picked up a wide receiver for the class of 2025, and it seems like every other day they get a player who has a dad who has ties to the National Football League. And this time it is Plaxico Burris's son, Elijah Burris. And Kyle, this is a young wide receiver that the Irish have added to their great 2025 class. And it sounds like had he waited a little longer and not picked Notre Dame, his recruiting really would have picked up. Your thoughts on the Irish getting Burris?
5: Yeah, I think that's why Notre Dame pushed so hard to get this one done, marking the uh, first recruiting victory for wide receivers coach Mike Brown since he began at Notre Dame uh, back in December. And uh, this recruitment's been um, pretty interesting for the fact that he got offered um, a scholarship from Notre Dame in early early January, came up to campus on January 20th, And then uh, exactly three weeks from that visit, um, ended up verbally committing to Notre Dame. And when you look at his offer sheet uh, in terms of the schools Notre Dame was competing with, it's a lot of group of five schools and then uh, Cincinnati and Duke as far as your your power five or what's formerly known as Mm -hmm. a power five, you know, kind of referred to as a power four now. Um, with Cincinnati and Duke being the biggest competition there, but my biggest takeaway from this commitment has has been the way you started it out. Is the the NFL pedigree that Notre Dame continues to target um, on the recruiting trail? This marks uh, i believe it's a third NFL legacy commit in Notre Dame's class following uh, Ivan Taylor, the safety from Florida, the father or the son of Ike Taylor who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers um, along with Plaxico Burris for a few years there in Pittsburgh. And then uh, James Flanagan, four-star tight end from Wisconsin. Uh, Father is also a Notre Dame legacy. Jim Flanagan played on the defensive line, went on to play in the NFL for the Bears, uh, Packers, and a a few other teams. So yeah, in Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman has been really successful with the uh, NFL legacy guys on the roster whether it be benjamin morrison or howard cross or even joe wall then um, they're certainly uh still targeting targeting those types of players in the uh, high school ranks
2: i guess it wouldn't be a shock if we don't add another player just like everything you mentioned all the traits and jerome bettis jr
5: yeah that's one uh we're keeping keeping an eye on over at blue and gold it felt it felt like that way for a while honestly since yeah. Notre Dame offered him during their uh, March 17th pot of gold day recruiting event. Uh, Bettis was not a, a guy that we expected to get an offer that day. He he uh, kind of surprised us was one of 65 guys during that St. Patrick's day themed recruiting event. Spent to campus a number of times, both as a recruit and with his father. Uh, there were, there were a couple occasions where he actually came with um, his father, Jerome Bettis, obviously, Uh, to to campus in a non-recruiting capacity where I believe the coaching staff couldn't even interact with them. But anyway, Jerome Bettis Jr. seemed to to call Notre Dame home, uh, even if it's a little bit subconsciously at this point. So I I think it's only a matter of time before Jerome Bettis Jr. also ends up in Notre Dame's class. And then you're looking at a a wide receiver core with uh, the sons of Plaxico Burris and Jerome Bettis Sr. um, on that Irish team, of course, Both those guys played together with the Steelers.
2: Yeah, this is becoming Pittsburgh Steelers West here in South Bend, Indiana. He's Kyle Kelly. He is a Blue and Gold Illustrated recruiting insider, and he's going to now talk to us about this 2025 class, and Kyle, the Irish are off to a fantastic start. They appear to be the number one class at this stage of the recruiting process. As you look at the group Notre Dame has put together, do you have a favorite part of this 25 class?
5: You know, I do, and I think it's um, the Chicago flavor, if you want to call it, Notre Dame's had in the uh, 25 cycle. They have three verbal commitments from the Chicago area with uh, Chicago, Simeon Career Academy, edge Russer Christopher Burgess, who's a four-star player, plays in the uh, Chicago Public League. And then there's uh, two commits that are located just one mile apart from each other, with defensive lineman Joseph Reeve, who attends uh, Chicago Suburban School Elmhurst York Community, and then uh, Dominic Kulak, who is a product of Elmhurst Immaculate Conception Catholic Prep. Both those guys just one mile away from each other, and uh, a, a fifth in Notre Dame's class with those three Chicago guys, um, are, they, they comprise a fifth, uh, the class that is, and I think that's a, a great um, win for Notre Dame because I I'll always remember this during Marcus Freeman's our early National Signing Day press conference for the 2024 class back on December 20th. Freeman told reporters that uh, Notre Dame needs to be successful recruiting in Chicago and they need to do it with the right guys. And mm-hmm. I think these three – are, are some of the right guys. And I think there are also a couple other guys that Notre Dame's looking at in the Chicago area. I know a uh, uh, close mentor of mine, Tom Lemming, uh, kind of the, the longtime recruiting guru, he always tells me that, you know, back in the 80s and the Lou Holtz era when Notre Dame was winning national championships, they did it with a heavy Chicago influence. Yeah. And I think that uh, if Notre Dame wants to have a chance at replicating similar success, that's one way to do it.
2: I think a lot of Irish fans are excited about the quarterback in this class, Deuce Knight. I have a feeling, Kyle, he might get a phone call like every other day from Lane Kiffin or maybe from Mississippi State. It sounds like those two schools are not going to give up until he finally signs with the Fighting Irish.
5: Yeah, Mississippi, Alabama with Kalen DeBoer, who coached Michael Penix, uh, the lefty quarterback, Deuce Knight's a lefty, and, I think uh, one of Deuce Knight's family members actually played for uh, Kalen DeBoer when he was on uh, Indiana staff. Wow. So a interesting connection there. Those are the two schools I think we're monitoring the most right now for Deuce Knight is Ole Miss in Alabama. And I'll tell you this, if I was Lane Kiffin or Kalen DeBoer, I would probably be calling Deuce Knight every other day too because <laughs> he's one of the um, – quarterbacks in this entire cycle with the highest upside and he's a potential five-star guy he's located in the deep south right down by the gulf of mexico uh that was a major recruiting victory uh for notre dame back in september when deuce knight committed and every day he stays committed that's a recruiting victory for notre dame i i don't think we're too worried about uh deuce knight you know possibly exploring other options at this point But uh, as we kind of find out with uh, C.J. May, the the edge rusher that was committed to Notre Dame out of Highland Home, Alabama, from September uh, up until about two weeks ago, that recruiting guys in the South is never easy. And that, that surely is going to be the case and has been with Deuce Knight.
2: Kyle, I mentioned this class is in really good shape right now. And with the way Marcus Freeman and his staff have recruited the last couple of years. I have no doubts this is going to be another great class. But as we sit here today on February the 13th, is there a glaring need that stands out right now in this 25 class that this coaching staff is working on?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it really is wide receiver uh, at this point in the process. I mean, Notre Dame has 15 commits and basically two guys that at every position across the roster – um, besides tight end and uh, wide receiver in terms of the 25 class. I think Notre Dame only plans to take one tight end in the cycle unless a, a guy they really love comes their way. So the, the big glaring need right now is wide receiver. I know you just got the, the one in Elijah Burris from Wayne, uh, Wayne New Jersey, uh, DePaul Catholic. But I, I, they definitely need to get Juice Snights some guys to to catch passes. You know, also when you look at the makeup of the Notre Dame roster, I think the wide receiver core is probably one of the weakest groups. So naturally, when you're out on the recruiting ranks, definitely going to be focusing on a position like that in terms of strengthening it. I, I think naturally they're a little bit behind in wide receiver recruiting just because. Uh, Mike Brown uh, taking over the position about two months ago, since Mike Brown uh, came to Notre Dame, he's offered, I think like 10 new wide receivers. So a lot of those guys just getting uh, familiar with Notre Dame, refamiliarizing themselves with uh, Mike Brown. And, uh, you know, usually springtime's a, a good time for Notre Dame commits. And I, I think that if Notre Dame continues to, to work hard on some of those guys that are on the top of the board, that's, you might not be talking about wide receiver being in need for much longer.
2: Kyle, if you don't mind me asking kind of on a, a different uh, storyline, but you did mention Mike Brown kind of picking up on the fly here in this recruiting cycle, Notre Dame losing Chris O'Leary to the NFL. Is that a big deal from a recruiting standpoint?
5: Believe it or not, I don't think it is. Um, and I had, this is something I did some reporting on uh, last night at blue and gold. You can check that out there. Um, Notre Dame has two safety commits um, with Ethan Long from uh, Brunswick School there in Connecticut. And also uh, Ivan Taylor, who I mentioned earlier in the show, the the highly coveted four-star safety from uh, West Orange High School in Winter Garden, Florida, right around the Orlando area. I talked to both Long and Taylor. Both those guys are locked in. Uh, Long is much more confident in his pledge right now than, than Ivan Taylor. I think Taylor is uh, – he's really doing some self-reflecting because I know he had a, a really strong relationship with O'Leary. But uh, director of recruiting Chad Bowden, head coach Marcus Freeman, defensive coordinator Al Golden, and uh, corners coach Mike Mickens have all um, been in constant communication with Ivan Taylor – so I, I don't really have much concerns about him uh, leaving the class. I think that he'll stick with Notre Dame and see this out. And then there's one more safety on the board who's a potential five-star recruit, according to on threes metrics. And that's Jadon Blair from Winston-Salem Mount Tabor high school there in North Carolina. I, I did some reporting on him. Uh, they're, the, the Blairs, uh, they love Notre Dame. They love head coach Marcus Freeman and Although they're a little bit disappointed by O'Leary's departure, they recognize that he's going up, uh, not down. He's going to the NFL to coach for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, and they're excited for his opportunity. But their big thing uh, is that as long as Marcus Freeman's still at Notre Dame, they're going to remain interested. So Notre Dame uh, safety recruiting seems to be in in a really good spot, and I think much better than what most programs could say when losing a position coach
2: he is Kyle Kelly from blue and Gold illustrated so let's spring forward to fighting our spring practice which will get started in just a couple of weeks and Kyle using the group of early enrollees from the last recruiting cycle which offensive player from the early enrollee class are you most excited to see wear that gold helmet this spring
5: yeah, there's a number of guys that I, I'm really excited to see once practice kicks off next month, but the one that came to mind right away was Keedron Young, the uh, running back out of Lufkin High School in Texas, uh, top 100 recruit that Notre Dame stole from the likes of Texas, Texas A&M, and a lot of other Power 5 programs. He He's probably the most college-ready guy on offense for Notre Dame. He's extremely well-built. Um, looks like Audric Estime, acts like Audric Estime. He might be Audrick Estime for Notre Dame. Um, and I, I'm kind of interested to see what his trajectory is because under running backs coach Dylan McCullough, he has not been afraid to play some of those younger guys. So I think Young could play himself in the playing time this spring, depending on how well it goes. So I'm interested to see how he looks right away, especially because he's from Texas. So I never got to see him in person. And uh, that's one guy I'm going to have my eyes set on uh, pretty early on in spring practice.
2: What about on the defensive side from that early enrollee group?
5: No relation to Keedron Young, but the guy <laughs> that came to mind uh, for defense was Bryce Young, the uh, son of former Notre Dame great Bryant Young, the pro football hall of fame defensive lineman from the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Of course, uh, you know, was an outstanding player for the Irish in the 1980s and 90s. It, Bryce Young, once again, not a guy that I was able to see in person. I, I am located in the Midwest, so I, so I see a lot of Notre Dame's Midwestern commits. Uh, but I know our Mike Singer has, has seen Bryce a, a number of times, whether it be in North Carolina or down at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio last month. And this guy is just a freak. Um, You know, one recruiting service named him a five-star. And I know on three, we have him pretty much rated as on the verge of a five-star. And he's really come a long way since the first time he had cleats on and was running around at Notre Dame about two years ago before his uh, junior season when he camped at Notre Dame. He he used to be a wide receiver and he made that transition to defensive line. He's like 6'6", 250 pounds, really raw and obviously really new to the position. But I think when you look at Notre Dame's step chart on the defensive line, they could possibly be looking for a, a few guys to emerge. And although you never want to give those expectations to a freshman, I think that Bryce Young with his pedigree um, and just kind of hit the skill set that he does offer at this stage of his college career could may, uh, maybe find himself uh, on the field for Notre Dame on game days.
2: Kyle, whether it's a story you're working on or maybe a colleague, if folks go to blueandgold.com, what are they going to find?
5: Yeah, believe it or not, even though it's uh, February, which means a, a dead period this month for recruiting, and I know football, we're all looking toward spring practice, but I, my colleagues uh, Jack Sobel and Tyler Horga doing outstanding job covering the men's and women's basketball teams. Uh, I've been pitching in with some football and recruiting coverage. Um, And I think the biggest thing that we've had uh, working on over at Blue and Gold is our uh, recruiting magazine that will come out here pretty soon. And uh, some of those stories we'll we'll be really excited to share online as well. So you can keep a a close eye out for those over the, the coming days and weeks.
2: He is Kyle Kelly, and he covers Notre Dame football recruiting at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Kyle, really appreciate your time. Good to catch up with you. We'll do it again soon.
5: Likewise. Thanks, Darren.
2: Thank you so much. Again, that's Kyle Kelly. Check him out at blueandgold.com. We've got more Budweiser's Weekday sports beat coming up in a couple of moments on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT streaming live at wsbtradio.com.